Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. <laughs> it's good to see everyone here this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'll open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning, I'll give you a chance to find that place there in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15. I want to share with you this morning, with a Bible and a bike tire, why we are here today. Now you may be thinking, well, we're here because it's Easter Sunday, and that's what we do. We get up, we put on our new clothes, this shirt that my wife so wonderfully pressed for me. And by the way, she hates to iron, and so this is, a, this is a extra special. This was my Easter treat, that she pulled the iron out of wherever it hides when it's not being used. Uh, her favorite thing that, on any shirt that she buys for me is when it says, wrinkle-free. That's the ones that she likes, and, but she did iron this one for me this morning, did a wonderful job, I think. We pull out our nice clothes, we, we get our kids in the car, we, we come to this place that we call the church. It's really just the church building. We know, that, and according to the scriptures, that the church is the people of God, not the place where we worship. But I want to talk to you this morning about why it is that we're here. You may think of all the many reasons why I'm here because I was invited this morning. Maybe you go, I don't really know why I'm here this morning. It's just Easter and that's what we do. No, I want to talk to you this morning about why it is that we're here and why we need to be here and why this is the best place for us to be. We're going to talk this morning about what I'm calling the linchpin of the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When I use the term gospel, there may be some in the room that are going, I've heard that word before, but I don't really know exactly what that is. And I want to use my bike tire here uh, as an example of, of what the gospel is like. The gospel is a lot like this bike tire in some very important ways. First of all, there's one thing you need to know about this kind of a bike tire, and it's that it has a lot of spokes, these things that kind of hold it together here, and every one of these spokes is essential. Now you say, well, how essential are they? I mean, surely if one of these were gone, it wouldn't affect a lot. I can tell you from personal experience of about a year and a half ago, uh, my friend Donnie Sanders and I were out, and we were riding our bikes uh, a top speed of 15 miles an hour is how quick we go. And we were riding from here at the church. We were riding down to Short Creek. How many of you know where Short Creek is? All right, take it right out of the church parking lot and keep going across the dam through the, over the river through the woods. You won't find grandmother's house, but you will find Short Creek. It's at the intersection where if you go right, you go to Owensboro, you go left, you go to Litchfield, you go straight on through, you go to Caneyville. Short Creek, it's basically you blink and you're going to miss it. But that's Short Creek, and we were riding there one day on our bicycles. I will not tell you how long it took us to get there, but I do remember when you come down the hill into Short Creek, that last hill when you get to the, the gas station at the bottom of the hill, we were coming down that hill, and I heard Donnie's bike in front of me make a weird popping sound. Now, when you're riding one of these bikes, you don't want to hear weird popping sounds, especially when you're going downhill at what was probably then 25 miles an hour for us. That's probably top speed. Going down the hill, you hear this popping sound. And what had happened is one of these little pieces that holds the spokes in place 
had busted loose and the spoke was just beginning to beat against the tire. That's not a good moment to have going downhill. Thankfully, nothing bad happened. We were able to get to the bottom of the hill. We pull into that gas station there and we began to look at it. And here's what we figured, geniuses that we are. We thought, okay, surely one spoke can't make that big of a difference. And so he happened to have some electrical tape. And what we did is we took that spoke and we put it next to the spoke that was next to it and we bound it together with electrical tape, hoping that it would be able to sustain us for the ride back home. I'll just go ahead and tell you, uh, we didn't make it back to McQuady that day. Uh, I don't remember if his wife or mine, somebody came and, and picked us up or we did a lot of walking. I don't remember the end of the story, but I remember this. I remember understanding very clearly that every spoke on this wheel is important. The same is true of the gospel. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ given to his church, meant to be proclaimed, and it is a wheel with many spokes. Let me share with you some of those spokes this morning in case you don't know. The first thing you need to know about this gospel is that the gospel is the story of God. Not just any God, the one true and living God, the God of the Bible. It's the story of the creator God through whom all things were made. By his word, he spoke everything into being out of absolutely nothing. He is the only one that can truly make something from nothing. He spoke into being all that is. He made everything according to the word of his power. And he is a holy God. He is perfect in all of his attributes. This is the God of the gospel. There's also some bad news related to the good news of the gospel that you need to know this morning. Another spoke that is so very important is this. That he created man, he created man in his own image. That's good news that we're created in the image of God. But rather than walking in the ways of God, the Bible says that man instead chose to rebel against God. Which, by the way, was a treasonous action. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all fallen short of his holy standard. We have rebelled against him. When it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, I need you to understand this morning that being a sinner does not mean that we are basically good people with a few flaws. That's the modern definition of sin today. We're all basically good people with a few flaws that just need to be cleaned up a little bit. We just need a little bit of shining up and we'll be fine. We'll be acceptable to God. Now, I'm going to talk with you this morning about how we can be acceptable to God, but that's not it. The bad news is that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God and we are deserving of his wrath, of his judgment. We are deserving of a place called hell, which we don't talk a lot about in the church anymore, but we need to. The gospel tells us there's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This will not be some eternal party you will have with your friends. This will be a place of abject despair and loneliness and suffering. But it can be avoided. Because the gospel goes on to say that there is a substitute. There is a substitute that knowing that we deserve death because of our sin, that the perfect Son of God came and took our place on an old rugged cross. He died the death that should have been ours, and He was buried in the tomb that should have been ours. He was our substitute. He took our place. The perfect Son of God, He who knew no sin, became sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of of God. And we could go on and on with the spokes of this gospel wheel, but I want to share with you one that is so important this morning. 
the gospel, the wheel of the gospel demands from people a response. And the response is not, well, that's really nice. Isn't Jesus a nice guy that he would die on the cross for us? No, the response of the gospel as dictated by the scriptures, the very word of God, the response of the gospel is this. It's one of repentance and faith. Repentance is this word that means that we turn from our sin, the very sin that was rebellion against God, the very sin that was deserving of death and hell and eternal damnation. That sin, we turn away from that sin in repentance and we turn to God by faith and we place our trust in Him. We look to Him. We believe in Him. We abide in Him. We rest in Him. That is faith. It is an action word, not something to be possessed, something to be done. We turn from sin and we trust in Christ. This is the response of the gospel. We could speak about many other spokes, but I want to share with you about a part of this wheel that oftentimes goes unnoticed. There's this little doohickey here in the middle. Now, my dad told me, if you don't know what something's called, just call it a doohickey and that'll be good enough. Okay, so this little doohickey here in the middle, it's this little piece that you put the, this wheel inside of the little branch thing that comes down. I should know the words of these things. I ride one of these stupid bikes. But you put this in here, and then you twist this, and then you lock this mechanism. And what that does is it locks the wheel to the bike. Now, I've never done this, but I, I would dare say that if you ever started off on a bike trip without locking this thing in place, it's going to be a bad day for you. You're probably going to eat some pavement before very long because what's going to happen is the bike is going to come disconnected from its wheel and you're going to have a mouthful of blacktop. Before they created these little doohickeys here that you see on this, this bike, there was something else that was used to keep wheels in place. It's what we call a linchpin. It's an unassuming little device, a pin that goes through the axle that holds the wheel in place that it might achieve the purpose for which it was created. Now stay with me for a minute. I'm going to show you a picture of a linchpin. This is a fancy one here. This is a linchpin. It goes through the axle holding the wheel in place that the wheel might accomplish what it was intended to accomplish. The wheel has a purpose. Folks, the gospel has a purpose. It's not just a message to be heard. It's not just something for church people to talk about. The gospel has a purpose. And there is a linchpin to the gospel that I want to talk with you about this morning. There is a linchpin to the gospel that if you don't have this peace, then the rest of the wheel lies lifeless in your life. Without the linchpin, the rest of the wheel means nothing. It's just something to hang on the shelf. It's not something to hang your faith on. But with this linchpin that I want to share with you about this morning, the gospel takes on an eternal power. An eternal weight of glory is revealed through this linchpin. But what is a linchpin? I'll give you a definition this morning. A linchpin is a central, essential, cohesive element and all those words are important in that definition it is central that means that it is the focus of everything else in that mechanism it is central it is essential that means you can't do without it without this the wheel falls off and it doesn't accomplish the purpose for which it was intended and you don't get anywhere 
And it is cohesive. It draws everything else together. It is the binding piece that makes it function as it is intended to function. I want to talk with you about the linchpin of the gospel this morning. If you are able to stand with me in honor of God's word today. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning in verse 12. This is the word of God. written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul, and he writes this in verse 12. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, then how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And then we're going to hang our hats today, verse 20. But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You can be seated this morning. Father, as we are seated together this morning, God, I want to make this simple prayer for us. I pray that you would open our minds to understand what your word is saying today. And that you would open our hearts to receive it. Lord, you are the God who takes stone-cold hearts and replaces them with hearts of flesh that beat for you. You are the God who draws us out of the darkness of our sin and brings us in to your unapproachable light. You are the God who justifies the ungodly by faith in your Son. You are the God who raises the dead. And so we look to you. Give us faith, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk with you about this linchpin this morning. Before we leave this place, I hope that you will understand it, but even more so, I hope that you will take hold of it in your life. First thing we see is the linchpin pronounced. In these first couple of verses... The Apostle Paul is is laying out here for this church a very significant issue. And I need you to understand a little bit about what's happening in this letter to the Corinthians so that you can grasp the significance of what we find here in chapter 15. The church at Corinth was a mess. And that's probably a nice way of speaking about it. If you were to look at the top ten churches in the New Testament, Corinth definitely didn't make the list. If you, probably if you were to look at the top 100 churches in the New Testament, Corinth didn't make the list. This church was a wreck. 
This was a church that was openly reveling in the fact that they were tolerating rampant sin in their midst. There was a guy who was having an illicit affair with his own stepmother, and the church was celebrating how tolerant they were. Sounds a lot like our culture today. Tolerating sin, calling that which God says is evil good, and calling that which God says is good evil. We've got it all flipped upside down and turned around, and we need to come back to the realities of this book. The Word of God is truth without any mixture of error. They were reveling in sin in their midst. And they were even going so far as to take the Lord's Supper, this beautiful picture of the gospel given by Jesus himself. And in chapter 11, we see them. They were taking the the Lord's Supper, this beautiful picture of the gospel, and they were making it an occasion for their own bragging. They were making it an occasion for their own revelry. They were making it a party that was focused on themselves rather than a celebration of what Christ had done for them. But here we come to chapter 15, and we find that the reason that all these other issues were going on is because they had begun to stray from the linchpin. They had begun to stray from the foundational truth of the gospel, that which holds everything else together. And so Paul leverages this question to them. Here is the central question, not just of this chapter, not just of this book, but this is the central question for our lives. The question is this. Can dead people live again? Can dead people live again? Let me go ahead and give you the end from the beginning this morning. I want to say to you clearly this morning that if there is no resurrection from the dead, if death is the end of all end points, you just die and you're put in a grave somewhere and that's it. If death is the final finish line, there's nothing beyond the grave, then let me give you two pieces of advice this morning, and I am extremely serious about this. First of all, if death is the final ending point, you need never return to this place ever again. You are utterly wasting your time coming to church if death is the final finish line, the ending point. If there's nothing beyond the grave, then what we are doing here this morning is utterly worthless. Don't ever come back and hear one of my sermons again if death is the final finish line. Don't come here and sing these songs because we're just mouthing untruths. If the worst possible thing is we're probably leading people astray if death is all there is. The second thing I would say is not only don't come back to this place ever again, if death is the final finish line, then here's my encouragement for you. It's the same thing the writer of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament said. If death is the end, then here's your instructions for the remainder of your life. Eat, drink, and be merry. Live it up. Get as much pleasure as you can out of this life because that's all you've got. If there's nothing beyond the grave, and if this is all you've got, then why spend your life trying to be good? Why live, spend your life trying to follow some dude named Jesus that maybe taught some good things, but he was just a man like the rest of us? If the dead don't live again, then we need to leave this place, never come back and spend the remainder of our days seeking all the pleasure we can for ourselves. Throw morality aside and just live it up until we die because that's all we got. And so many of our culture, so many in our culture believe the very same thing that I just said to you. They see death as an end point. 
We need to understand that it is not. Church, I want you to know this this morning. We are staking everything on this linchpin. For followers of Jesus, everything hinges on this. Everything. What we believe about God, what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about our lives, everything hinges on one truth. We're talking about Easter Sunday this morning. Here's what I want you to put in your Easter basket this morning. I want you to put all of your eggs, I'm, I'm pleading with you to put all of your eggs in one basket this morning. And it's this, that the dead are raised. That the death is not the end. That when you breathe your last, there is something beyond the grave. In fact, there's two somethings beyond the grave. And I hope that one of them will be your eternal reality as a result of what we're talking about this morning. Everything hinges on this. Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors, he said, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Is that clear this morning? I hope that that's clear for us today. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If his body is still in the tomb in Jerusalem, then we need to leave this place and never return again because he has nothing to say to us. He's just one more dude in a very long list that were born, that lived, and that died. And that was the end. And folks, if that's all there is, then never come back to this place and live it up for the rest of your life because that's all you've got. Everything hinges on this. But if Jesus rose from the dead, then there's more. And then Apostle Paul in verse 14 does something. This linchpin becomes like a grenade pin. And he pulls the grenade pin and he lobs the grenade right into the middle of the church at Corinth, this church that was such a mess. He pulls the pin and lobs this right into the middle of their midst. And here is the grenade that he launches. He says this in verse 14. Here's the deal, guys. If the dead don't rise, then neither did Jesus. Are you hearing me, church? This is coming right out of the scriptures here. If the dead don't rise, then neither did Jesus. Now, there was something crazy going on in the church at Corinth. What was happening in their day was this, that they were continuing to preach the gospel and proclaiming that Jesus rose from the dead, but at the same time, some of those same guys were denying that anybody else would. They were denying the resurrection of the dead and trying to still proclaim that Jesus did. It didn't make any sense whatsoever. They were infected by the Greek culture around them that, that, didn't th that thought nothing of an, of an afterlife, that thought that the grave was the end point. They, they were infected with the same kinds of maladies that exist in our thinking today in so much of our culture. And Paul says, what sense does that make? If the dead don't rise, then logic tells you what? Jesus didn't rise. So what difference does that make? Well, folks, I want to show you what the Apostle Paul says. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the Apostle Paul makes five extreme statements here that I want you to see. First of all, if, the dead, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our preaching is pointless. 
What we're engaging in right now, the preaching of the gospel, this is pointless. But not just, not just the preaching of this pastor is pointless. Our preaching, our proclamation, whether or not you've ever been called to stand upon a platform like this, if you are following Jesus Christ, you have been given a message to proclaim. He said, go ye therefore into all the world and proclaim, preach this gospel. This is not just for a handful of leaders in the church. This is for every Christian to proclaim the gospel. But if the linchpin of the gospel is false, if that which on which everything hangs is false, then our preaching is pointless. I'm just getting all fired up for nothing if there's still a body in Jerusalem in the grave where they laid Jesus. If his body is still there, then what we're doing this morning is pointless. Our proclamation is pointless. Secondly, our testimonies are trash. All over this room, I'm seeing faces right now. I have heard the testimonies of what God has done in your lives, rescuing your marriages, restoring you from addiction, radically altering your entire view of the world. And the Apostle Paul here, right here in front of you, he says, here's the deal, guys. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead then we are actually misrepresenting God because we are saying something in our testimonies about God that's not true. Because everything that we're saying is grounded in this one fact, in this one linchpin that Christ rose from the dead. And if that's not true, then your testimony is trash. And you say, well, wait a minute. You can't tell me my testimony is trash. I didn't. Paul did. In the Word of God, he says, if the resurrection is false, then our testimonies are worthless. Third, if the resurrection is false... And our sins are still on us, folks. Look at verse 17. You see it for yourself. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you are still in your sins. And you say, well, what does that matter? If you're still in your sins, then there's no hope for you. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. But he could only give you that free gift if he still lives. Can a dead man give you gifts? I'm the kind any of us would want, right? Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, our fear is gone. Because he lives, we know that our sin has been stripped away. And what Jesus did was not just strip away the filthy rags of our sin, but then he clothed us in his righteousness. Remember that verse I quoted a minute ago? He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He clothed us in his righteousness. But all that is false if his body is still in the grave. Fourthly, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our hope is hollow. We talk about the hope of glory. We look forward to our heavenly home. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and these, these earthly bodies that are frail and full of pain and sickness. We look forward to those bodies being glorified as Paul talks about in the rest of this chapter. We're not talking about just some kind of spiritual resurrection here. We're talking about a physical, bodily resurrection. These old broken down bodies are going to be traded in for a glorified body and it's going to be a real physical body. But that hope is hollow. If Jesus is still dead in the grave. And finally, and most powerfully, Paul says twice here, verses 14 and 17, he says, If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our faith is futile. 
This runs, this runs so contrary to the way some folks view the Christian faith. Here's the kinds of things that I hear being said. There, there was a, a Christian singer that I heard sharing her testimony one time. I won't, I won't accuse her by giving her name, but she was sharing her testimony. She said, here's how I see it, talking about her faith in Christ. She said, the way I see it, uh, my faith in Christ is at, is, at, is at least a 50-50 shot. She said, here's the deal. If what Jesus said was true, and he died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead, and I can have resurrection life in him, then awesome. I live for Jesus, and at the end of my days, I get to go to him and be with him in heaven forever. So it's worth following Jesus. She said, but here's the other side. If, if what Jesus said was not true, and his body is still in the grave somewhere, and this is all a farce and a fairy tale, she said, then I've still lived a good life. I've still helped a lot of people. I've still done a lot of good things, and and I've lived the best life that I could possibly win. So she said, so the way I see it, it's kind of a win-win. Even though it's a 50-50 chance, whether it really was true or not, I kind of see it as a win-win situation. And I'm sitting here going, lady, did, did you not see what Paul said? If Christ is not raised from the dead, then we are of all people to be most pitied. We are a pitiful, foolish lot as followers of Jesus if his body is still in the grave. Because you're wasting your life. And if this is all you've got, why would you want to waste it on this kind of foolishness? Going to church on Sunday? Reading some 2,000-year-old book? Why would you want to waste your life on all that? If this is all there is, you say, well, I'm, I'm investing in people. If this is all there is, folks, you're investing in people that are going to die just like you and their bones are going to rot in the earth. They're going to be, it's going to be ashes to ashes and dust to dust. And that's, if there's nothing beyond the grave, then we're wasting our time. I hope you see it this morning. Don't buy the lie that all you need to do is just live this good Christian life, that, that, that that's what it's all about. No, it's not about that. It's not about that at all. It's about the grace of God displayed in the perfect Son of God who died in your place but would not stay dead. By death, He conquered death. He rose from the dead to bring us resurrection life. That's the gospel. This is the linchpin. Everything rides on this. If His body's still in the grave, we are wasting our lives as followers of Jesus. I hope you believe that. I hope your eggs are all in one basket. Don't waste your life on a 50-50 chance. You waste your life on the hope of glory that is secure in the resurrected Son of God. Do you hear me? You spend your life on the hope of glory that is yours because Christ rose from the dead. I want to say a few more things about this linchpin because I I really want us to get this this morning. We get so easily drawn away by, by so many things. I've made a list here that I just want to read to you this morning. Things that are true. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, I've got a list of about 21 things here I just want to read to you. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then the Bible is at best a decent history book. 
It's not worthy of your faith and devotion. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then the biblical account of creation is a fairy tale. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then sin is just a term used to make people feel guilty. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then all the Old Testament feasts and laws and sacrifices, those were just empty religious rituals pointing to nothing. The Old Testament prophets, those guys were just accusatory liars or lunatics. All the promises of God, of the Messiah, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, all those promises of the Messiah from Genesis all the way through Malachi, that those promises of the Messiah, 300 plus promises about the Messiah, they remain unfulfilled. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then the virgin birth was just another poor, illegitimate Jewish boy. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then all of his teachings were at best an unattainable moral code. All of his miracles were mere parlor tricks. His crucifixion was at best a travesty of justice. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then his disciples wasted their lives and their martyrdom meant nothing. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then his coming return is the worst lie of all history. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, salvation is out of reach. Sanctification is really just self-deception. The hope of glory is no hope at all. Repentance is ridiculous. Our preaching is pointless. Our testimonies are trash. Our sins are still on us. Our hope is hollow. Our faith is futile, empty, worthless, a dead end. Do you hear me? It all rides on this. And it may sound like I'm beating a dead horse this morning, but he is very much alive. And he took the beating for me. Finally this morning, I want you to see the product of this linchpin. See, well, what, what does it matter whether I believe in Jesus' resurrection or not? I need you to understand this morning, this is the only question that really matters. We ask all kinds of questions in our lives. Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? Where am I going? What am I going to spend my life? And we ask all kinds of questions about life. I want you to understand this morning. I want to narrow it down for you this morning so that you can understand. There is only one question that means anything in life. There is only one question that you need to answer. And that question will define the answer to every other question you will ever ask. And the question is this, did Jesus rise from the dead or did he not? If he did not, you owe him nothing. If he did, would you see these three things? First of all, this is the linchpin of all history. Everything rides on that moment 2,000 years ago when a Jewish man, the perfect son of God, stepped out of the grave. When he took that two-ton stone and tossed it to the side and by the power of God was raised to newness of life. Everything rides on that moment if that's true. If it's not true, then ignore it altogether. But the evidence is overwhelming. Look at Paul's evidence in the first part of 1 Corinthians 15. He says there were over 500 eyewitnesses who saw him at one time. There's no such thing as a mass hallucination of 500 people. The apostle Peter, who denied him three times the night before he was crucified, is then preaching the day of Pentecost. He's risen. I have seen him. 
And the Apostle Paul goes farther and says, And his brother James, the same James of whom it was said, he rejected him. He did not believe in him during his life. When he saw him resurrected, he became a believer and he became the leader of the church at Jerusalem. But Paul says, if you don't believe that, then believe this. I've seen him. On the road to Damascus, when I was going there to put to death his followers, He appeared to me as one untimely born. The Greek word behind that phrase, untimely born, refers to an abortion. As one they tried to abort, and then God stepped in. And Paul says, I stand as an eyewitness. Lee Strobel was an an atheistic journalist, an award-winning journalist, by the way. And Lee Strobel's wife came to know Jesus as her Savior. She began attending a church, and she received the Lord Jesus Christ. She received the gospel, and her life began to change, and Lee was mad. Man, he was so mad that he, he set out on this quest to disprove this Jesus. And Lee committed, he said, however long it takes, I'm going to prove that this Jesus was a fake. Because I don't like what's going on in my wife's life, how she's been led astray by this silly old church. I want to share with you the end of what Lee Strobel found when he eventually came to Christ. He said, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I had as an atheist. He never promised any such thing. Indeed, following him would inevitably bring divine demotions in the eyes of the world. You need to hear that this morning. Please don't come to Jesus expecting health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. He's never promised you that. You may hear it on the TV screen, but you will not hear it from this pulpit. Understand very clearly Understand very clearly, he said, in this life, you will have trouble. If you're going to come after me, you're going to be persecuted. Your life is going to be difficult. The way that leads to life is a narrow and hard way. But the end thereof is joy everlasting. Lee Strobel goes on and he says, rather, I love this. I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling. This is an award-winning journalist here who sought to disprove the resurrection of Christ. The evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved His divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following Him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. But I would say this to us this morning. You will never follow Jesus just because it makes sense. So many times we look at the the account of the gospel and we go, that's just craziness. What does some Jewish dude 2,000 years ago have to do with me? But the answer that faith screams out into our lives is this. He has everything to do with you. This is the linchpin of history. Secondly, this is the linchpin of the church. 
Church, I need you to understand this morning, those of you who I'm talking about in this building, I'm talking about the people of God. If you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, if you've been sanctified, you're being, re, you're being renewed, and this newness of life is happening in your life because Christ is there. If you are experiencing the risen Lord in your life, I need you to understand the linchpin of your existence is the resurrection. Never think that you graduate beyond this linchpin. Never think that you will move beyond this truth. We are staking our lives on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that we will come after Him. You say, where do you see that? Look at, look at that last verse, verse 20. I want to read it to us again this morning. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. Paul's pulled the grenade. He's thrown out all these things that are true if Christ is not raised from the dead. But then he says in verse 20, but in fact... Notice he doesn't say, well, I really hope this is true. 50-50 chance, right, guys? No, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And then he says this weird thing afterwards. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. By the way, fallen asleep is a biblical way of referring to the death of those who are following Jesus. Death is simply a falling asleep. And the Apostle Paul writes, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. But the first fruits. So what does that mean? What in the world is the first fruit? It takes us back to Leviticus 23 in the Old Testament. Throughout the Jewish year, there were seven feasts. I'm not going to go through all of them this morning. We don't have time for that. But the one feast that occurred at harvest time in the fall of the year, when they were harvesting that which they had planted, this is an agricultural society that they were living in. They didn't go to McDonald's for their next meal. Whatever they grew in the ground is what they ate. And every year, every year, they would have this feast called the Feast of the First Fruits. This is, where, this is what Paul's referencing here in verse 20. The Feast of the First Fruits. I want to share with you Leviticus 23, the instructions from God to Moses about this. Moses was the leader of the people during this time. And the Lord said to Moses, he said this, he said, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and you reap its harvest at harvest time in the fall, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be what? I told you I was going to tell you how you could be accepted by God. He will wave the sheaf of the first fruits before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. I want to say three things there. I hope you see them. Church, I hope you see them. First of all, he's saying this. There's something about the first fruits. It implies the harvest is here. That's what it means. You see, every year they would come to Jerusalem and they would bring the first of their harvest, that, that first sheaf that was, that was brought up out of the ground, that first part of their produce. They would bring that to Jerusalem. And the high priest would stand up in front of the people and he would wave that sheaf over the sky. He would wave it back and forth. And the people would erupt in joy. Celebration would take place because what they knew was this. The first fruits show that the harvest is here. God has been faithful once again, and this is only the beginning. And they would rejoice as they would go back into their fields to see all that the Lord had provided. And church, hear me this morning when I say to you, 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ that we are celebrating today, the resurrection is simply the first fruits. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all creation, is waving him across the sky, and he is saying, them, saying this to us. He is saying to us, understand, church, he is simply the first fruits, and you can come after him. You are the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The Lord is calling us out. And he's saying, church, be the church that I've called you to be. I'm waving Jesus before you, and may you be the ones now. May you be the ones now, church. No more high priest is needed but Jesus himself. May you be the ones. May you be the ones that now wave him in front of a lost and dying world. Folks, we are called to take up this linchpin and to wave it in our lives. To call people's attention to Jesus Christ because there is no other way of salvation. There are not many roads that lead to God regardless of what you've heard. There is one way and it is open to all who would come. And I want to encourage you, church, let's wave, let's wave this linchpin across the sky of our lives. Let's rejoice in this linchpin all the days of our lives. Let's put all of our eggs in one basket. And may he be glorified as a result. And finally, this morning, I need you to understand. This is the linchpin of your life. I plead with you to get this. I plead with you to get this. You, you may not understand everything in this book. Here's all you need to understand for now. Everything here points to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross for the sins of all mankind and rose from the dead three days later that anyone who looks to Him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the linchpin of your life. And for me to say that nothing else matters is exactly what needs to be said. You see, I came in this morning and, I, and I'm worried about my kids that I've gone to stray. That makes no difference whatsoever unless this lynch pin is in the right place in your life. See, I'm worried about my job, whether it's going to still be there for me tomorrow. I want you to understand that makes no difference if this lynch pin is not in the right place in your life. You see, I'm worried about my health. I got this diagnosis of cancer or whatever it might be. I want to say to you this morning, cancer means nothing if this linchpin is in the right place. Paul himself wrestled with the idea of death, and he said, I don't know which one I would prefer, to stay here and keep proclaiming the gospel, to keep waving the linchpin of the first fruits across the sky of my life, or to go on and be with Jesus. He says, I don't know, I don't know which one I would choose. It's a win-win proposition. But I want you to understand, it's lose-lose. If you don't have Jesus. 
It's lose-lose if you don't understand that everything rides upon the reality that death is not the end. When you breathe your last, there will come a life after death. And you will spend it in one of two places. Having rejected this linchpin, you will spend forever in a place called hell. Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is no eternal party. This is suffering and torment forever. And you say, well, how is that fair? You need to understand this morning that one sin against an infinitely holy God deserves eternal suffering. But the one sacrifice of His Son is enough to redeem all who look to Him. And here's the promise for the day. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In the next book, Paul's a little bit nicer with the Corinthian church, and he says this. He said, here's the deal, guys. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, he said, I believe, and so I spoke. That's what faith ought to cause us to do. Faith ought to cause us to speak. We don't keep this message to ourselves. We proclaim it. And it's like Jeremiah said, it's like a, it's like a fire within my bones. I've got to let it out. We also believed, and so we also speak, knowing, knowing. Notice that word, knowing. He doesn't say hoping. He doesn't say thinking so. He says knowing. That word means an intimate, 100% certainty in my life, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. This is the hope of the linchpin. Stake your life on it. Look for no plan B because there will be no plan B and you don't need a plan B. All you need is Jesus, the one who conquered death by death. And we invite you this morning to come awake. Come and rise up from the dead. The Bible says so clearly that apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. But there is hope in Christ. Will you turn from your sins and will you trust in Jesus? Will you look to the linchpin who is being waved across the sky and will you by faith stake everything on Him? Abide in Him, rest in Him and know the power of His resurrection in your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. With all our heads bowed and eyes closed, nothing... Strange or odd should happen in this moment. We just, I just want to give you a moment to think on what's, what's been said. I need you to understand this morning that I have been praying throughout this week that everyone who comes into this place if they do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, would leave with the weight of this linchpin weighing upon their hearts. I need you to know this morning, there's only one question that I want you to ask in this moment.
put aside your thoughts of lunch and the afternoon activities of this day. Put aside the groanings with tomorrow's work and for this moment and the moments hereafter. Let only one question be ringing in your mind and in your heart and in your soul. And the question is this. Can the dead truly be raised? Is the resurrection of Jesus just some piece of folklore and fairy tale? Or is it the truth above all truths? It is, is it the peace that holds everything else together? Is it worth staking your life upon? Or is it worth nothing? pray for each of us in this room we would not try to find any middle ground between those two we would either be sold out for Jesus or flee from him may this question of the resurrection ring in your soul today in church may we be the first to rise up and proclaim him Christ is risen from the dead Lord God, we glory in you. And we pray, Father, that you would move in our midst during these final moments together today. Lord, we hear your invitation to us that we might come awake. That just as Christ rose from the dead, that we might rise from the death of our sins and take hold of Christ and abide in Christ and rest in Christ and know Christ in the power of his resurrection to be made like Him in His suffering, to grow in our faith in Him, and to trust Him until we breathe our last and see Him as He is, the King of glory, seated at the right hand of God, beckoning His people to come in full assurance of faith. May this be our profession and our practice and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand where you are. This song invites us to come, and we invite you to come this morning. I'm going to ask if some of our deacons would come and join Kent and I here at the front to receive those who would respond. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we plead with you this morning. Would you hear the call of the linchpin this morning? Would you hear him calling to you, say, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I've got rest for you. Come, step out from where you are and trust Jesus. Take him at his word. If God raises that up in your soul this morning, if you feel him tugging upon your heart, we invite you to step out from where you are and walk this aisle. There is nothing holy about the men up here in this front. We are sinners just like you. But we do know Jesus. It would be our privilege to share him with you. As we sing this song, you respond to be lived in Christ that is magnificently glorious. It is full of suffering and hardship, but in the suffering and hardship we find meaning as we're conformed into the image of Christ. And we invite you into that life. Maybe you're not sure what to do with all of that this morning. My simple prayer for you is this. Continue to wrestle with the question of the day. Can the dead be raised? 
That's the question of the day, not just on Easter, but every day of your life. I pray that that question will haunt you so that you cannot sleep at night until you can answer it in the affirmative and you would say, yes, I know the dead can be raised because Jesus, my Savior, was raised. And He is the first fruits, and I will come after Him. Let that be true of us, church. And church, let's make this our proclamation. You've been given a mission in this lost and dying world, and it's not to live a good Christian life. It's to proclaim the gospel until your last breath when you will meet Him in glory, and He will say to you, Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. Come as you are. With that being said, I want to dismiss us in prayer this morning. Thank you for being here. Father God, we come before you in awe. In awe of this gospel. And in awe of the linchpin. Lord, I pray that you would bring us to that place of faith where we are resting everything on this. All of our eggs in one basket. And he is Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and is seated now at the right hand of God in glory, interceding for us, praying for us, and beckoning us to come to him. Lord, would you continue to afflict us with this question? Can the dead be raised? And may we know the hope of glory and the joy of our salvation in Christ alone. We pray. Amen. God bless you.